Hello, good afternoon. It's February 2nd, and this is Matt Williams, and this is my first podcast. And this um, this evolved from the vlog series I was working on. Um, as I said many times over, you know, can never get used to the name, but <laughs> the real challenge in that was always um, shooting videos on my iPhone and uploading them wirelessly to Facebook and to my computer, and that, that posed all kinds of headaches. And, uh, yeah, what I had been hoping to do was get to a point where I could actually produce these as proper podcasts. And uh, thanks to my brilliant wife for reminding me that I had all the necessary pieces lying around. I just hadn't yet put them together. And it requires that I really, I really do test my production uh, uh, credentials or, or my, my production skills, I should say which are sorely underdeveloped. Luckily, uh, I got a little practice working with Mars City Design, um, and that uh, resulted in a podcast series, which is actually coming out very soon. Um, most of the work was uh, was done other by people other than myself, but yeah, you definitely learn by, uh, by doing and by watching. And so, I decided to um, make uh, my next installment in my series a in the form of a podcast and to bring it to you. So, um, picking up where I left off, what I want to talk about is uh, I want to go on uh, discussing the Fermi Paradox with you and to get into specific scenarios. Um, because, as I've, uh, as I've said, I think, a few times now, um, the Fermi paradox, right, which uh, refers to uh, Enrico Fermi and the question he asked, where is everybody? It spawned a lot of uh, answers over the years, a lot of potential resolutions for why life could be so common in the universe, and yet we're, we're just not seeing it, at least not close to us, not, uh, not in any places we choose to look. Now, uh, without getting into the whole... Um, uh, the whole issue of, well, we've barely scratched the surface and, and no conclusions can be drawn based on the research we've done so far. It's still a very interesting question, and it does raise uh, you know, some rather obvious fundamental and philosophical points there. For example, if there's life in the universe that vastly um, exceeds our own age and level of development, it would be pretty hard not to notice, especially if it was in... You know, uh, nearer to our solar system in, in relative astronomical terms, you know, a few hundred, few thousand light years. So, yes, this has spawned a lot of very, very interesting speculation and theories. And we're talking actual scientific papers, not just, not just uh, articles or essays. Um, in any case, uh, so the one I wanted to talk about first and foremost is, is was the first um, hypothesis that I myself wrote about in the series for Universe Today. Um, the third installment in this series was, um, yeah, it came right after my colleague had written two, two articles explaining what the Fermi Paradox was, where it came from, and uh, yeah, and how, how it came to be framed. So I decided for absolutely, uh, installment number three, picking up right after those introductory ones, we should talk about the Great Filter Hypothesis. And 
so to give you a, a little bit of a minimal background here, um, the theory itself comes from Robin Hansen, who is an economist and research associate at Oxford University. And he works uh, for the Future of Humanity Institute, or he, he did it at the time. And yeah, that name is uh, <laughs> very fascinating. And in fact, the research they do is exactly what the name suggests. They're looking at what is in store for your humanity, what kind of... Uh, of uh, evolutionary and developmental pathways there what they uh, what they could be and where they could take us in the future so in line with that he spoke about uh, you know evolutionary pathways involving intelligence and based on what we little we know and uh, you know largely speculation and assumptions based on humanity and the evolution of life on earth he came up with some very interesting uh, ideas. And he said um, that uh, in the paper itself, and it was titled, The Great Filter, Are We Almost Past It? He said, Humanity seems to have a bright future, i.e. a non-trivial chance of expanding to fill the universe with lasting life. But the fact that space near us seems dead now tells us that any given piece of dead matter faces an astronomically low chance of begetting such a future. There thus exists a great filter between death and expanding, lasting life, and humanity faces the ominous question, how far along this filter are we? Now, when he said uh, uh, dead matter, piece of dead matter, he's essentially referring to nearby star systems and planets that appear to be devoid of life, even though the ingredients are, are there. And so they don't have a great shot at producing intelligent life while well, we can we can assume that just based on the fact that they haven't and that we don't seem to see any that have. But in terms of uh, what the filter implied, he said that um, using Earth and, uh, and humanity, and the evolutionary pathways that led to us and uh, all the things we do, technology and space travel and industrialized civilization, if we use that as a template, we can, we can say... Um, in general terms, that um, that life follows a nine-step process that we could apply to other planets and other life. And um, so it, it starts with the most basic stuff, uh, a habitable star system with organic molecules and planets that, that fit the bill for habitability, like Earth. And steps two through nine, you have then reproductive molecules, uh, in other words, uh, um, RNA, followed by uh, prokaryotic single-celled life, eukaryotic life, sexual reproduction, multicellular life, animals that are capable of using tools, industrial civilization, which is where we find ourselves right now, roughly, and number nine is interstellar colonization. Interplanetary, interstellar. You can, you can sort of lump those together because by step nine... A civilization out in space would be very hard not to notice. It, it is reaching beyond its own solar system. There's advanced communications, no doubt, going back and forth. Spacecraft uh, are traveling at a fraction of the speed of light and expending a tremendous amount of energy. And there's all kinds of, uh, of engineering going on in these systems, in all likelihood, like space stations and satellite mega constellations, things that would be... It, very, very hard to ignore. So 
based on that on that uh, ninth step outline, he said that well, we must assume then that the great silence is caused by a great filter which falls somewhere in those nine steps, and we don't know where they are, where it would be exactly. But as as the paper indicates in its title, and he goes on to explain, is that well, wherever you put it, it has implications for human life. So, and, and none of them are particularly good implications. In fact, um, if you were to put the filter at an early point, um, say the, um, uh, the abiogenesis, basically the, uh, the birth of life from, um, or basic organic molecules, but non-living uh, elements, if that were the hard part, if, if it were really, really difficult for life to get started, then that means that um, where we are now, life on Earth is kind of a fluke. It's a one in a billion, one in a trillion uh, shot, and it means that we are we are way past the point of uh, we're uh, we're on borrowed time severely because we've used up all our luck just getting the ball rolling, and at any point we could we could be gone. Um, on the other hand, uh, if you put the filter at a late stage, and many theorists like to do this, and it's it's quite a popular interpretation of the great filter, and it's it's definitely one of my favorites. Um, if you place the filter between steps eight and nine, well then that suggests that intelligent life, like our own, is, is uh, very likely to go through a process uh, just like what we're going through right now. Right, we we are emerged as intelligent creatures. We used tools to build up our uh, our environment around us to shape our uh, environment to suit our needs. Now, just about every species of animal does this, right? From insects onwards to uh, to primates, uh, there's there's quite literally no species that doesn't shape its environment through. Uh, the use of uh, just its uh, its natural tools or basic implements that they uh, that they adopt, um, but yes, humanity does have a noticeable difference in this respect. We we rely on on learning, trial and error, and tools of increasing complexity um, far more than instinct. And it, it does seem, in fact, that this is um, a uh, an instinct that we have, and. The result of it is we we are we've always been all of us really um, since we started began walking uh, out of uh, out of uh, uh, what's Old Uve Gorge in uh, East Africa we've been following a very iterative process whereby the tools we have are used to develop uh, more complex and more refined and better tools which then make it easier for us to then develop better tools beyond that and beyond that. And at every juncture, we're using that process to support our numbers, which um, have been shown. With every technological revolution, we've been able to support a larger population. Um, but those technological revolutions were motivated by a growing population. So it's sort of like a vicious circle. Um, and this has got us to where we are now, and we are, many thinkers say we're on the, uh, the verge of a technological singularity, but another consequence is that we're on the verge of, uh, of a climate catastrophe. And to me, this, 
this just made a ridiculous amount of sense. It's like right now in the 21st century, the greatest um, issues and challenges and forces for change that we faced are in the form of climate change and technological change. And one of these is likely to lead us to societal collapse. That's climate change. Um, and uh, just because the ecological systems around us, we've overburdened them and they're going to just uh, the situation is going to keep getting worse throughout this century until um, we're no longer able to sustain civilization as we know it. Um, alternately, technological change, there's a few scenarios in which it too could lead to uh, um, uh, catastrophes of its own. But the, the way it's going, what it's presenting us right now is, well, we could have clean, abundant energy. We could have... Uh, endless renewable um, um, resources and materials. We could have post-mortality and, um, and, and we could get all of our particular problems caused by overpopulation and underdevelopment and poverty and war and uh, a lack of resources, a lack of access. We could actually fix all these things by, proper, by properly leveraging many of these uh, growing technological industries um, but at the same time, it's like, well, the, the pace of change is going to get so fast, so run away, the future is impossible to predict. We're, we're looking at our, um, a world in which we, we could save it from climate change only to then be stuck dealing with the extreme complications of artificial intelligence, post-mortality, nanotechnology, um, biotechnology, and all of the really tough questions that's going to impose on us, such as, are we even human anymore? Or, yeah. So that is, of course, another major subject there, but it makes perfect sense to look at that from the point of view of, oh, is that something all intelligent civilizations go through? And do they face that existential um, crucible where you, you're, your ability to proliferate and your ability to support larger and larger numbers of people through technological dependence, it got you to this point. Now, is it going to get you out of it or are you, is it finally going to just all catch up with you? And so that I think is probably the, that to me is the best interpretation of the great filter. It's like intelligence could very well be rare in our universe because it doesn't survive intelligence intelligence's test or the burden of intelligence yeah you can do and and this is a, a story as old as day there is like the more knowledge you have the more harm you're capable of that's that is entirely the motivation behind pandora's the myth of pandora's box of uh of the garden of eden and the sacred tree of knowledge and uh Yes, there, every culture, I do believe, has its own mythical tradition that comes down to the loss of innocence. Once you know something, you're no longer innocent. Once you know things, you're now aware of how you can do them to cause harm. So as uh, another point, um, another f uh, philosopher from the Future of Humanity Institute, he wrote an essay that um, sort of expanded on his, uh, his uh, colleague's work there, and his name is Nick Bostrom. And his, uh, his paper that was released in 2008 uh, was called Where Are They? Why I Hope the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence Finds Nothing. 
And he too was doing the, the whole question of, well, if we start finding evidence of dead civilizations out there, um, then this will tell us where the great filter is and we'll know exactly how, how doomed we are because, um, I failed to mention this, uh, <laughs> earlier, but yeah, if the great filter is in an early stage of those nine steps, it means, yes, we are on very much on borrowed time and are a fluke. If it's at a later stage, if it's between stages eight and nine, as I suspect, then it means, well, we're also on borrowed time, um, but we haven't overshot the existential threat um, or barrier uh, that, that will likely uh, claim us, right? So we've either avoided catastrophe a long time ago, and there's absolutely no reason to think we're, we're going to keep uh, avoiding it, or it's right in front of us and we're headed straight for it. So, and what he said, what Bostrom said was, the great filter can be thought of as a probability barrier. It consists of one or more highly improbable evolutionary transitions or steps whose occurrence is required in order for an Earth-like planet to produce an intelligent civilization of a type that would be visible to us with our current observation technology. And... Uh, another, uh, a few people who have sort of added to that, who've illustrated why this thinking is, is, uh, accepted. Um, and you, you have, uh, for starters, uh, um, Stephen Hawking, as well as Elon Musk and a great many more who have said that if we do not, uh, leave earth in this century, not all of us, mind you, just if we don't establish, um, outposts of humanity beyond Earth in this century, we will go extinct sooner or later. And it could be climate change, it could be nuclear war, it could be a nuclear confrontation caused by climate change, diminishing resources, or it could be an asteroid. The, the point is, is that by having all your eggs in one basket, you just need to kick that basket hard enough and boom, you're done. And uh, this, this is uh, our, what many argue is the best reason to colonize Mars, and not just Mars, the moon, uh, establishing floating uh, city platforms uh, in the skies of a Venus, uh, reaching out to the asteroid belt, colonizing Ceres and Vesta, and beyond that, the icy moons of Jupiter and uh, Saturn and, and even further. It's like, if we can establish outposts of humanity, and there are a number of ways in which we could do that, all throughout there, then if Earth does collapse, if if our, if our we continue to burden it so very much, then, well, at least uh, our children will carry on. And in all likelihood, no collapse at Earth would lead to a... Uh, it wouldn't wipe out all humanity, and it wouldn't destroy all of civilization. It would just cause the... It would certainly uh, mean that civilization as we know it right now would no longer exist. It would be unsustainable. So these colonies could in time return and help repair Earth and, and do all that. Um, or alternately, shifting the burden of resources and industry and so forth away from Earth. And that's something that's also talked about. Uh, Jeff Bezos has talked about that, but he, he by no means came up with it. It's uh, it's a very old idea that if you if you reposition all your mining and uh, manufacturing and so forth out into the Earth Moon system and uh, 
wherever there's lots of asteroids, lots of resources, and you, you harvest it there, you manufacture it there, and then you send it where it's needed, then yeah, you, you've removed the burden from Earth. You're no longer taxing the natural environment. So yeah, all of, all of that, that's why step nine, inter, interstellar, interplanetary colonization and settlement, that is seen as, uh, if, if the filter is between steps eight and nine, getting to nine ensures your survival. It ensures the species keeps going. And it also means that you are likely to be visible or you're much more likely to be visible to, um, species and other star systems. They're, they're much more likely to spot you if you've created infrastructure that occupies an entire solar system. And that, and uh, there's also a lot of speculation about how uh, civilizations that could do that could build megastructures. And that's probably something best left for another time because it's rather deep and very, very fascinating. But yeah, it all comes together in the sense that life that survives and makes it to the point of step nine and becoming interplanetary and interstellar will be able to carry on perhaps indefinitely. Um, but, um, getting to that point is a major, major challenge. And, and of course, if you get to that point there, yeah, we, anyone who did would be noticeable to us. And that's something I love to say about the Fermi paradox, right? It's like, uh, it is, uh, it, you only need to solve it once, right? You only need one indication of life beyond our solar system, or even within our solar system, um, to uh, to prove that yeah, life is ubiquitous, or that life is is common out there. It's not non-existent. Um, with no evidence, one cannot make any conclusions. But for all intents and purposes, since we're not seeing anybody out there, we cannot assume that anyone is in fact there. We just have to keep looking. And um, yeah, so the second we find one, one example, one data point in the great silence that says, oh, somebody was there at the very least. Somebody was building, they had transmission technologies. Uh, who knows? They're, they may be long dead by now, but well, at least now we know we're not, we, we can't be alone because we're not special. Oh, anyway, that, as you could probably tell, that's, that's the reason why this is one of my favorite hypotheses. It just, it covers so much and it is really and truly uh, brilliant. And it also, again, there was a reason why I, I it was my first uh, installment in the series, um, which, um, yeah, if I'm correct now, oh, let's have a look here. It's gone up to, um, yeah, 16. That's 16 installments. Uh, and uh, no, in fact, 17. And I, I plan to, to get up to 20. <laughs> and uh, it's, a, it's, it's a long series. It's a tall order. And that's also why it's going to be made into a book. A lot of, a lot of words went into this. <laughs> um yeah, it's, but this was uh, very deliberately the the first installment I made because it, it is a perfect jumping off point for so many other topics and theories that come up in the whole search for extraterrestrial intelligence. So tomorrow what I'd like to do is get into some of the implications of this. Um, and that includes the Kardashev scale and uh, Dyson 
Freeman Dyson, brilliant theorist who happens to still be with us, thank God, um, and uh, predictions he made about uh, about what extraterrestrial life could look like, mega scale engineering, and so forth. So that's uh, that's that one there, and um, also how yeah the the revisions of that of uh, the Kardashev scale have uh, produced a lot more extremely interesting ideas, right? It's like, if we're going to speculate about what truly advanced life would be doing, let's really speculate. Let's let's break with traditional thinking of bigger and blitzier and get into, like, tinier and tinier and more freakishly advanced. So, yes, but that <laughs> it's a very long topic, so I'm going to leave that till next time. Um, thanks for joining me here. And, um, well, I hope uh, I kept you intrigued and entertained, because there is more to follow, for sure. All right, have a good day, and signing off.